hopefully this movie can bring people together. I think it's, it's, it, my wish is that it speaks upon the interconnectivity of all of us. Hello and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm David Canfield, EW's Movies Editor, joined as always by my co-host, Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor. Hi, Clarissa. Hi, David. Today, Stephen Yun, who just received a well-deserved SAG Award nomination for Best Actor, joins us to discuss his gorgeous new film, Minari, which was at last released on Friday. He and I spoke about the film's amazing run since premiering at last year's Sundance and this big moment in his career. But before we get into that, today we're going to wade through this season's awards glut. Now that everything is finally hitting streaming and on demand, you can actually see these movies uh, to break down what's skippable and what is unmissable. Essential to this effort is EW's film critic, Leah Greenblatt, who joins us today. Hello, Leah. Hello. I'm ready to pick some critics. Yeah, that's that's why you're here. That's why you're here. We've got lots of movies to wade through. <laughs> that's what I was told. <laughs> we were talking before we started about um, the fact that Leah, you and I, and Clarice have seen these movies over many, many months, uh, and at, at long, long last, people at home who do not have special access can start to see these movies. Yeah, it's crazy. Imagine how the people who made them feel. I know. It's like a different, there was a different president when they started shooting these things, while a different, different president. (laughs) Seriously, seriously. Leah, I wanted to know from you first, um, what do you think is great? What's standing out for you? Uh, What are the big players? I mean, I really want to see Nomadland go as far as it can um, in terms of best picture, best director. I would love to see Frances McDormand I mean, she easily, I think, could win Best Actress again, though I do think that the Academy sort of fairly doesn't like to give them out more than every, what, five, five years? How, how, how much was Tom, how, what was the spacing on Tom Hanks? I can't remember. But. Wasn't that back-to-back? Oh, yeah. And there's also a lot of other uh, worthy women, but um, I really did love Minari. Uh, I'd love to mm. see Promising Young Woman get something like screenplay, and and definitely a, a nomination for, for Carrie Mulligan. I oh boy, I you know people have been saying. I, I think all three of us probably get this pretty often <laughs> that we must have been so like leisurely last year because there was no movies to write about, which was sort of the opposite of the case. They were yeah. just <laughs> different kinds of movies released in a different way than we were used to. But they're actually. I, David, you and I had a hard time getting our year-end top 10 for 2020 down to 10. I, yep. I had an easy 15 of, of films that I thought had so much to recommend them, even if they were not flawless. And just really interesting dynamic movies that I don't think would have gotten this platform, you know, in a sort of, in a, in a haze of Marvel, Black Widows and Bonds and whatever else 2020 would have been. So in that way, of all the things I'm, I'm going to miss about 2020, that is probably the only thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, that must've been great. That must've been great for your, your critics heart to sort of see, (laughs) see all of these kind of intimate character driven um, films. I mean, what are some of the ones that you, that you can think of that, um, that wouldn't have gotten the kind of attention they're getting now in a quote unquote normal year? 
That is a good question. Uh, you know, there's some some stuff is still too new. I think. I mean, I know what got my attention, but I think mm-hmm. you know, films like Judas and the Black Messiah, which just premiered at Sundance last week. You know, that is the kind of movie that I think. I don't know. A lot of these. A lot of these. I. I think actually will thrive in streaming in a way that, that people wouldn't have gone to, you know, the theater to see them because that's a destination situation with, you know, that's an investment of time and money that, that is different than just and health. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, in, a, in, in the before times, you know, you're talking about yeah. a whole Friday night where you, where you go and you park and you get the snacks and you do the whole thing. Whereas now it's literally as close as, you know, your Netflix or your Hulu or your VOD and, and that, you know, I'm sure that soul, you know, which was one of my favorite Pixar movies in a long time. And, and possibly it's definitely my all time, I would say top five Pixar now that would have been, that would have done well, no matter what, we're not worried about, about Pixar, but Mm -hmm. sound of metal, which um, ended up on streaming on, on Amazon, absolutely one of my favorite movies. And when it debuted in 2019, at Toronto Film Festival, it was like barely a blip, I felt like, because there were so many huge starring movies. So this small movie starring, you know, Riz Ahmed as a, as a heavy metal drummer who goes deaf, that was not the headline, you know, in 2019. But now it's getting so much attention um, for the acting, for the writing, for the just sort of like the, the, the beauty of this movie that kind of takes, a, you know, you have to lean in to hear some of these movies, I think. Sound of Metal is a really good example because it was so long ago and I don't, I think I said this last week too, I don't think that it would have been any kind of Oscar player except maybe for Riz if it if it had been in last year's season, especially because Best Actor was so stacked. I honestly don't see how he would have even cut that five. So it's kind of suddenly emerged as this power player because it had this really great momentum uh, debuting on Amazon. And it's interesting because even a movie like Nomadland, which was, uh, Leah, your number one of last year, um, that release date just kind of kept pushing and pushing as the pandemic kept not getting better and not getting better uh, until finally uh, the distributor Searchlight partnered with Hulu, and that's hitting Hulu this Friday now. Um, and I think it's going to find a much bigger immediate audience than it ever would have in that sort of very slow uh, select cities rollout that you would ordinarily see with a movie like that. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if it can get that kind of attention. The other thing that's just very interesting about this to me is that last year Sundance is so prominent in this Oscar race. Like you mentioned promising young woman. <laughs> Kajillionaire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish. Kajillionaire, <laughs> um, one of my favorites of the year, but last does not seem to be a big Oscar player, but beyond promising young woman, you also have the father, which is competitive in a lot of categories, Minari, um, which is so fantastic. And which I do, won at Sundance. Yeah. Which won at won Sundance. Uh, overall. Uh, and I think is going to be nominated for best picture at minimum. Um, and that's also. Don't talk it. to the golden globes about it. Yeah. <laughs> How is timing going to affect, um, to affect the race? Because some of these things, I mean, especially for us, because we cover this seems so long ago <laughs> that, that we, that we saw them. I mean, is this, do you think that there's going to be any sort of fatigue for some of these early ones? And, and also conversely, you know, some things that'll kind of get a lot of attention at the end. 
I feel like this is this is what all sort of studios and publicists torture themselves about is the idea of being fresh, but not too fresh and giving people a chance to see it, but not being so distant in their memory that you sort of discount it. I mean, I don't envy them the algorithms that go into that, you know, but I do. I do agree. I mean, there's certain movies like um, that, that do feel like they exist in the mists of time for me because it's been so long since I saw them. But, you know, that hopefully won't affect all of these voters who may not have gotten to a lot of these things and are still sort of captive at home. Mm-hmm. And will hopefully actually spend time with some of the smaller films. And if you'll recall, this may be a semi-apocryphal story, but um, the year before when they were saying that all of these voters wouldn't even deign to watch the Little Women screeners that they were sent because they yeah. weren't interested in the story. And I just truly mm-hmm. hope that people are either um, a little embarrassed by the fact that that got out or just literally bored and desperate enough to watch all the movies if they are voters, because so many of these movies are worthy. And I'll say for something, okay, for example, First Cow, which is a movie that I got to see in a screening room and even trapped, you know, in a room in the ideal circumstances, it's a slow starter. The first 20 minutes, I was like, I don't know if this cow is for me. (laughs) And by the end... She was. She was. She, She was my girl. And I loved this movie. It won um, New York Film Critics Circle, which um, I'm a part of, and I was so happy to see that that got the top prize. But again, these are very, very indie movies. There's no stars in First Cow, even though Kelly Reichardt, the director, has worked with stars like Michelle Williams um, and has, I mean, there's some recognizable actors uh, like Toby Young, but not many people you'll know. And it's set, you know, in a sort of a gold mining camp in the 1800s. It's an oddball friendship story about uh biscuits it's not oily you know, cakes it is, to be more exact thank you david thank you pastry chef but there's <laughs> there's definitely you know momentum behind it i think that it would absolutely not have had in another year and 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 some of that may be just me hoping and the other to me the huge takeaway from this year um and i hope this um doesn't feel like a blip or like tokenism is just the number of female directors who are in the running yeah. because they made the best movies. Sorry. They, they mostly did. And that's because <laughs> they weren't making blockbusters though. We do have a bunch of female directed blockbusters coming. Hopefully eventually think movies like black widow. And what's the next one that Chloe Zhao who directed Nomadland is doing David eternal. Eternals. Eternals. Yeah. Eternals. Yeah. Totally looking forward to that bit. Um, but just just w- one more thing, getting back to, I mean, you're talking about First Cow and Kajillionaire. Um, what are some of the, if you had to advocate for um, for ones that haven't gotten so much attention in the race so far? I mean, what for this is a question for both of you. I mean, what would be um, what would be the ones that you would push for? You know, I feel like Mank, at least at the Globes, was, and, and this is sort of what we expect from Globes voters, kind of blanketed the nominations. But other Netflix movies that I think were worthy didn't, like White Tiger. And oh, White Tiger. I don't know if that's, if there's still a little bit of a sort of um, judgment around streaming films for stuff like that. I wonder if that will be the same uh, from One Night in Miami, Regina King's movie. And I, and I, you know, I think absolutely you're going to see a couple acting nominations for One Night in Miami, but there's still a little bit to me a stigma around 
things on streaming, even though that's absolutely the best way for these movies to actually get seen, which is all really that any filmmaker who's not Christopher Nolan wants, right? So, <laughs> right. I know we both love Emma uh, with Anya Taylor-Joy, which is yes. just a, a deeply sweet um, uh, and funny and weird adaptation. And great looking. And so great looking. Yeah. Uh, so good looking. And pre-Queen's Gambit, so she'd already wowed us in <laughs> yeah. 2020. Um, right. You know, one that I, I think is in a little bit of trouble of getting largely ignored aside from an acting nomination or two, and this I think speaks to Leah's point about Little Women last year is Judas and the Black Messiah, which uh, has, I think, underperformed a little bit beyond like Daniel Kaluuya, who's pretty undeniable, um, and I, I think number one, it's very late breaking as Little Women was. And when that happens, if it's say a subject matter that your academy demographics or industry demographics are a little less likely to gravitate toward, it can be tough, good as it is, to sort of cut through that clutter. So I actually think, Clarissa, to your earlier point, you know, an earlier movie might have been more widely seen and therefore be able to kind of stick around in, people, in voters' minds in a way where maybe they just don't think about that tight window where they were going to put in Judas and the Black Messiah, which is about the assassination of Fred Hampton. It's it's a very heavy movie. It's really artfully and interestingly done. But uh, I think a movie like that can maybe be a little bit at risk of, of getting overlooked. Um, comedies are always tough, too, like a movie like Palm Springs, which was... Very definitive for 2020. You know, a screenplay nod for that, I think, would be very deserved. Uh, and I don't know that it's going to come. And we've talked about a few actresses that, in a very competitive back to Best Actress field, have been... Uh, they've had a tough time breaking through. I know I know, Leah is not the biggest fan of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Charlie Kaufman's new film. But I thought Jesse Buckley was so no, extraordinary. No, I am. Oh, you are. <laughs> I mean, it's a... It's a waking nightmare to sit through. <laughs> Clarissa definitely yeah, was it, not. <laughs> I was not a fan. I was, I was, yeah, it, it haunted my dreams for a long time. Look, here's what I'll say about I'm thinking of ending <laughs> things is, is, is that finding out after I had watched and, and reviewed it, that it was supposed to be Brie Larson in Jesse Buckley's role. I know. I don't ah. think anyone could have done it better than Jesse Buckley. Cause you have these torrents of dialogue that are yep. very surreal mm-hmm. and very cerebral. And somehow she made them feel lived in, which is such a... And Jesse Clemens, who, by the way, if we're talking about people that I think are MVPs who are going to go unrecognized, oh, yeah. Mr. Clemens, yeah. because mm-hmm. he's great and I'm thinking of anything. Yep. He's great in Judas and the Black Messiah. Yep. To me, he is like... He is like the the, the like the sweet Midwestern Swiss Army knife that they just bust out whenever they need him because he's just so good in everything. He's good in everything, Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, but David, I agree with you that there's a lot of performances that already unfairly, I feel like are just in the, in the wind. And I don't, I don't know how to pull them back and make people care. Makes me sad. Um, well, well, one organization trying to do that is the Critics' Choice Awards. They announced their nominations last week. uh, And I was a little surprised that it was kind of the usual players popping up pretty regularly make lead nominations largely because it is one of the few movies that really ticks all those technical boxes. So really racks up numbers there, but Minari also did extremely well. Um, Clarissa, what do you think about 
the fact, like as Leah said, you know, another performance we love, and I know that you loved especially was Aubrey Plaza in Black Bear. Like, I feel like performances like oh, that yeah. or Buckley, like haven't, you would think it with a group like this, which are just kind of checking off, it seems like all the, all those remaining in Oscar contention, you'd think that they would find a place here, mm-hmm. but they, they kind of haven't. And they, they seem to just be sadly fading away. Yeah, I know. That makes me sad. I had really high hopes for Aubrey Plaza. I mean, I, it's unfortunate because I think there were so many, so many performances that, that excited us, you know, I guess earlier in the season. But I, I mean, there were, there were still some things that I was, ha- that I was happy to see. Um, Sydney Flanagan in, um, I always, I always botch this title. Um, always, never, rarely, rarely, never, <laughs> yeah, never. Yeah. <laughs> I always watch a title, but I just, I thought she was so yeah, good, was and um, it was so powerful, and I loved it. And and you know, I knew it was small, but um, it was nice to see it get some love here. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it does seem to be sort of the expected. A lot of the expected um, nominees. I mean, I was happy to see Andre Day here. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. That was that was good. And for like a first acting job, I was pretty blown away. So I do hope she she figures in. Lee, I do want to get to a few of the awards movies that you maybe are, are not as crazy about. We've considered the co-front runner to Nomadland, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I'm perfectly fine on. I think a lot of people are perfectly fine on, but which seems to be yeah, same. <laughs> humming along and, and I think resonating with the Green Book side of the Academy, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we forget that this is the group that went Green Book, then Parasite, which is quite a jump. Yeah. What did I give Trial of Chicago? I think you're like a B, right? Yeah, I was, B. It was a, it was a gentleman's <laughs> Perfectly B. fine. Um, here's what I think about, about Trial that I want to see. Mark Rylance, Sasha Baron Cohen, and um, I'm so bad at saying his name, David. Please say it for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, Abdul-Mateen II. Thank you. Those three to me are in their own movie almost in a better movie. I think, <laughs> look, I, I think trial of Chicago seven was completely entertaining. It's like this most Sorkin Sorkin that ever Sorkin like, it's just full on. <laughs> it does all his things that he does. Um, yep. and it's, you know, to me, it was, it was a little corny. It was a little overstuffed, but I think those three performances completely stand apart. And I do this thing in my head, which is bad math, I know, but I like to give these kind of cumulative prizes in my mind. And to me, Sasha Baron Cohen, between Borat and this role, I just kind of want to see him Mm -hmm. up there holding something gold, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mark Rylance obviously has already won. He won Best Supporting for Bridge of Spies, whatever that was, sometime in the last, you know, seven, eight years, I think. And and Abdul Mateen, I mean, I mean, he's just rising. So I expect to see him and so many other good things, but, but they, to me kind of anchored the movie. And I think you were expecting people like Eddie Redmayne to do it, Mm -hmm. but it really did belong in the end to those three actors. And, and, um, movies like Mank and, and Travis Chicago seven, they exactly what you said, they speak to the green book people and will continue to. Looking at the best supporting actor lineup, it's really stacked. I mean, you have Sasha Baron Cohen, you have Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, which is like category from. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How is he not lead? That makes no sense. That would also be like Renee winning for best supporting for Judas. I, I think Sorry. because it's told through Lakeith Stanfield's eyes, he plays the the FBI informant who um, turns on Kaluuya's Black Panther leader. Uh, that that was the argument. Lakeith Stanfield is going lead. Ironically, that was really never in question. Whereas. 
Sasha Baron Cohen for a time was considered a lead candidate for Trial of Chicago 7. They decided to put all of those actors in supporting. To get out of the way of Chadwick, though, honestly, is... Oh. And and that's the other thing, is that Chadwick, yeah. Roseman yeah. going lead for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, probably cleans that category out. Um, I mean, I think yeah. even someone like Delroy Lindo, who's really struggling to gain traction in Best Actor, perhaps surprisingly, has been has been hurt by that. You know, it's just, it, it leaves up less space, especially among Netflix contenders. Um, it's, it's nice to see such a deep category, though, and I do think Sasha's probably... Gonna, it's going to be between him and Daniel Kaluuya for that win. But you've also got Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah. in One Night in Miami, who's so great. Um, and probably the- See, I like Kingsley Benadir in that and is more strong to me. But but I think I've Leslie got news for you, Leah. Kingsley Benadir is going lead and he's going to regret it. <gasps> he's lead, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he's definitely not going to win, but that is okay. Yeah, I thought he was, I mean, yeah, I thought he was like phenomenal. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, yes, and I th- and I think and Leslie Odoms. I understand why he's he's sort of been the chosen one in this in this race, and and I do want to say that I did just say that I want Sasha to win something, but I absolutely am Daniel Kaluuya over anyone else in that category. If that's if that's the way the Academy is going to play it, that is my choice. <laughs> yeah, hard to argue with that. <laughs> hey, they can only take their cues. <laughs> Wait, but David, are we talking about Supernova? Is this not even in the in the in the running? I think Stanley Tucci, I mean, talk about a little bit of category fraud. He's also running supporting, <laughs> even though I believe he's in every scene in that movie. Um, and that he supports the entire movie by being in all of it. <laughs> what an argument. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's send that to Bleecker Street. There you go. Um, I think he's still, <laughs> I, I think he's still in the race. I think he's a, uh, at this point a longer shot because it's such a rich category because you've got people like mm. Daniel Kaluuya uh, dropping down. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough road. I think cause it's such a subtle performance, but kind of a shame cause it really is one of Stanley Tucci's best performances. And, um, a kind of movie that, you know, the performances are the story of that movie, but I I would have thought it would have gone a little further than it has. Well, we'll see how these shake out. I have a feeling Nomadland's a pretty overwhelming favorite with the Critics' Choice, Um, but of course, that does not necessarily translate to Oscar love, so we shall see. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, my interview with Stephen Young of the film Minari. Stay with us. Welcome back. Here's my interview with Stephen Yun of the film Minari. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Stephen. Hi. You and I have spoken a few times now, and I feel like every time I tell someone I'm talking to you about Minari, I get more people who are just so in love with your movie and so excited about it. It's awesome. It, it's been, God, almost 12 months that it has now been building in mm. this kind of buzz. I'm wondering what that has been like from your perspective. Have you felt this sort of groundswell of support that just keeps building and building? Um, yeah, I, you know, I I guess it's hard to have a proper barometer on things, um, especially these days, because, yeah. you know, <laughs> we all have our own <laughs> Here we are. Uh, realities, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I do feel like um, there's a lot of uh, support for it, which is really wonderful. And um, I'm eager for it to come out. Um, but I guess like between, um, Isaac, myself and cast and crew, whenever we get to talk, I think the most 
resonant thing is the experience of the film continues to kind of cascade through our personal lives. So it's pretty cool. What what has that been like for you um, in this last very strange, difficult year? Um, a movie that has, you know, a lot of personal roots for your director, Lee Isaac Chung, and I know for you as well, it hit a lot of personal notes. How has that intersection been? Um, it's been, you know, it's been great. It's been it's been equally great and equally painful. I think, I think it's, I think, um, you know, much like the world is going through a time of reflection, um, and a time of maybe, um, looking inward. Um, I think this film also tasked us to do that. And, um, you know, I think to retread, maybe severed connections of generations, um, especially as Korean immigrants. Um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty like healing. And also, you know, you have to uncover some things that perhaps you, you didn't really take a careful look at either. So, um, yeah, you know, this, this film really just kind of keeps speaking to the moment and it's bizarre that way. What was, you know, that, that driving force for you in terms of um, how you connected to this project? Um, well, this film um, came my way uh, through, through you know, just a script. Um, the, the, I read the script and, uh, you know, Isaac had written something so um, personally to me, like painfully truthful, um, uh, kind of a... a, a a bare script, but so full at the same time um, that I felt like it was a reflection of a lot of our lives. And so um, it even extended beyond just the immigrant, uh, Korean immigrant experience. It just felt really resonant with a truth of, of, of humanity in that way. And so, um, you know, for me as an actor, especially as a, a, a Korean American actor, I really am just looking to play a human role. And when you get that opportunity and you read a script that, you know, has you kind of in it and it gets to be full um, in America, uh, you jump at those opportunities. And so for me, I was like, yeah, this this, this is the thing I want to do. I, I was terrified. I was very terrified because I think, um, you know, there was so many... Uh, there were so many sensitive things I think this film was potentially going to touch. And, and, and for me specifically, I think it was going to touch upon, you know, language and um, understanding a prior generation, um, making sure that we didn't romanticize them or <clears throat> in, in infantilize them in any way. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, um, that that was what kind of drew me to it, and then um, in preparation for the role, uh, it was it, <laughs> it was gnarly, <laughs> you know. It, it I I thought it could be perhaps no. I don't know if I, I didn't really have any thoughts. Um, there there was a point at which I asked Isaac. I was like, "Do you think we could rewrite the script and have me play the son, and it's half told in the future and half told in the past?" <laughs> And that was my way of kind of like wriggling out of having to play a Korean man of that era, a Korean American man of that era. And um, uh, Isaac was really supportive and he was like, I think you can do this. And um, I, I think the task itself was 
um, so terrifying that, you know, you almost got to do it. You just, when, when the universe places something so scary in front of you, that seems like, you, you know, you have to do it. I mean, that's kind of a blessing, right? <laughs> it's totally. <a> blessing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, th- 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 those are the feelings. I think especially when a result is this kind of movie that, that comes mm. across so beautifully. Had you ever been intimidated by a role like that before? Or maybe that's not the right word, but um, challenged, um, I suppose. You know, I, I think in this case, that is the right the right, right word. Um, you know, b- before I think, uh, perhaps before working in America, I was mostly asked to play... Um, visions and ideas and concepts of what maybe the way that I'm perceived, um, in America, uh, I, I was asked to play those archetypes. Um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, full disclosure and to be fair, I, I gladly welcomed playing those because in some way I didn't see, I couldn't even see a alternate version you know, um, Mm. of myself in some ways, especially when I was young. And so, um, yeah, I, I never felt intimidated by other roles in the past, but this one I think was scary. Um, it, it was scary for a lot of reasons. I think it was scary because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a story that perhaps isn't necessarily like unseen or unheard of, but it, it hasn't really been told before in this context. Um, and you know, there's, there's language barrier. There's, um, there's, you know, you have to go back and understand your parents. You got to understand, um, their generation and, um, and not just understand them from your point of view, but really empathize with them. And, and part of that work that's difficult is, you know, a lot of what we remember, um, is, really tainted by our lens. Um, Mm. You know, our parents are our parents, according to us. And I think in this particular situation for me, I had to remember them. uh, Instead of remembering them, just merely remembering them, I needed to um, identify with them. I needed to understand them. I needed to um, uh, understand their dualities and... and, um, and yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was difficult. <laughs> Given that you were handed this opportunity to play such a, such a nuanced and human, as you say, character, obviously one film does not change an industry, but given the reception to this movie and particularly by American audiences of all stripes, how do you feel the response to a movie like this can impact Hollywood or change it or, or push it forward, especially, you know, this coming on the heels of Parasite's Oscar win um, mm-hmm. earlier in 2020 before we shut down? <laughs> yeah, um, I can't be sure, but, um, you know, maybe my wish, or at least, you know, the moment that it services that I'm seeing is um, we spent a lot of time communicating to each other um, in the past about who we specifically are, um, maybe more on a surface level of how we might delineate who we are to each other from a cultural standpoint, from a visual standpoint, from, um, 
you know, understanding the food we eat, the way we look, the, the, the customs that we're used to. And those are all so important because those are offshoots of our core identities and our culture and our humanity. Um, but sometimes I feel like um, the essentialized authenticity gets in the way of seeing how we are and who we are truly. Um, you know, sometimes you're busy explaining to people what kimchi is instead of explaining to people like how you feel as a human being and why you make mm. the choices that you make. And, um, uh, and in this particular case, I hope that with a, with a story like this, that I feel like, you know, we purposely tried to not, not skip those things, but rather go so deeply into them that what you get at the end is a relatable story to anyone cross-culturally um, that we might be able to see each other a little clearer, a little bit more human and um, be able to understand that, you know, it looks a little different, but it pretty much kind of feels the same. You know, it, it, it feels similar. I mean, we are human after all. And I know in some ways that's like a cliche. I mean, it's a cliche or it's corny, but, it it really is that it really is like you know um if it, we are human and um all of us and so um i felt like you know these times <clears throat> uh hopefully this movie can bring people together i think it's it's it uh, my wish is that it speaks upon the interconnectivity of all of us for uh, a viewer like me you know i watch a lot of movies <laughs> in mm -hmm. in this job but one of the pleasures of, of learning about this movie after I first saw it at Sundance was like, actually, this is a pretty stacked cast that maybe I wouldn't have even known that given, mm -hmm. you know, my, my familiarity. Um, like Yoon Yoo Jung, for example, who plays um, the grandmother in this film, it's such an amazing performance, is like pretty ubiquitous and popular mm -hmm. in Korean mm -hmm. film and television, right? Yes, she's, she's the greatest, one of the greats. So assembling like that with this group for you, what was that like? Because it is this, you know, remarkable ensemble that for a lot of American audiences are being introduced to, at least as a group for a first time. Of course, there are going to be many Walking Dead fans walking in, but, yeah. you know, on, yeah. a, on a broader scale, it is a, it's a new kind of experience. Yeah. I mean, I guess it speaks to the, the global nature of where we're all headed to. I mean, um, there's so many greats everywhere. Um, and, yeah, you know, exactly. specifically in Korea, it's, it's really wonderful that, um, you know, that we get to, that we get to access someone like Yoon Yeo-jung or Han Yeri, you know, um, the, Yoon Yeo-jung has, um, such a storied career and such an incredible story to her own personal life. And, um, for, for me to be able to draft off her wisdom and just kind of her, her whole vibe, um, you know, I, I feel so fortunate because, you know, I've been able to do that in in Korea in a way that I don't know if many other Korean Americans have been able to access. And I feel very grateful. Um, she reminds me, um, obviously not the same person, but, you know, she she vibes with me in the way of like each uh, of 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 just understanding that, you know, mm. there, there's so much wisdom to be had from that time and that place. Um, so. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. 
So before this film, you made Burning, um, mm. which is one of my favorites. Um, so you make that, you make Minari. Where do you go next? How did you, where did you find yourself after you finished these two projects, which are so singular and and will really stand the test of time, I believe? Oh, thanks. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I hope I get more opportunities. I hope I continue to be able to um, push myself and um, work um, with you know, wonderful collaborators. I think what I've found that I really enjoy, and I'm sure anybody would, um, is I really like connecting with other people um, that are trying to say something. And um, uh, no matter what that is, it can be big budget, crazy film or a small independent film. I'm I'm really just um, trying to communicate, and um, I don't know what that means. Really, I just kind of like take it each case by case. So, um, yeah, I just you know what I think it's uh, as simple as I just hope I get to continue to work. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> I think that's a nice goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've also got um, The Humans coming up. I'd seen that mm-hmm. play on Broadway a few years ago. Is there anything you can tell us about that project and and um, what that was like? That was really wonderful, too. I think I think that was maybe my first, um, not my first, but like another really wonderful taste of what it's like to um, be surrounded by um, in, in really wonderful, incredible artists. You know, um, uh, Richard Jenkins... Jane Howe to show, June Squibb. Um, those are those are, you know, America's greatest. You know, they're some of their greatest. And so, uh, you know, Beanie and Amy are so wonderful contemporaries, and and they're such beautiful artists. And so, to be able to work with them and everybody and um, Stephen Karam, so incredible. Um, yeah, I just I I think perhaps I I really enjoy collaboration and. Um, I'm sorry I'm like not able to articulate it better but I just it, it was just really wonderful. I I'm I'm so glad and lucky to be able to work with a lot of really amazing people. So going forward is there anything you you would want to do that you haven't yet? Is there anything that sticks out to you as like man I have to get on that. I haven't done that yet. Mm. Uh, I will say like every time I try to force things or like I pick a thing like that, um, it sometimes doesn't pan out or um, <laughs> I I contort it in my own brain and um, it becomes something that I didn't want it to be. But, um, you know, it'd be so fun to play with something big, you know, it'd be really, really wonderful to play with something very big, um, to, to, to let to give in to a, a giant adventure story or. Uh, it, yeah, I I I, I kind of want to do all of it. I want to try my hand at all of it and see, um, see what happens. <laughs> Before we wrap, I've been asking a few people on this, um, just about you know a sort of meta question about this this kind of experience. Obviously, we're doing these virtually. The Oscar campaign trail is very very different than it has mm. been in the past. Um, how have you found it? How have you found talking about this movie and this role and this moment for you from, I presume, your home? Yeah. Um, and 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 having that and going on that 
journey. It's it's such a strange time. Yeah, it feel like I said earlier. I think it really is appropriate to the moment. Um, um, I mean, I could chart the course of how Kismet and um, unexplainable the whole journey of this film has been on the whole, even when we were making it, I mean, just incredible things would happen. Um, but you know, on the road to this, I don't know, it feels like everyone's bar, you know, I, I, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to give it a, give much away, but you know, everyone is hopefully starting to see each other. At least that's what's happening in my personal life. I think it's, it's understanding um, how deeply connected we all are and how much I am everything because of everybody. Um, it, the people in my life are so interwoven into my, you know, my reality, into my existence, into um, who I am, um, that, you, you know, it, it feels as much as we're disconnected and distant from each other, I also simultaneously do appreciate and understand the connections for what they are. And perhaps it needed to be taken away in order for me to really understand like how much I miss them and how much I miss, um, how much I appreciate how deeply um, important people are in my life not just personally but just even on a wider lens of just like being able to like run into a stranger just to be able to like graze past up someone i have no idea about is something that i miss and cherish <laughs> now <laughs> and so um yeah that's kind of it, it feels it feels appropriate for that i think so too yeah well, the film is Minari. Stephen Yun, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Experts make mistakes, even the awardists. So we're tracking our own progress on this chaotic awards journey by admitting what we're wrong about in our predictions and gloating about we, what we were right about. This week, we're going to put Leah on the spot. Leah, you've loved lots of stuff from this past year and a few contenders a little less. What about the state of the Oscar race has surprised you and what hasn't? I thought Mank was a little DOA after some of the kind of earlier critics um, yeah. roundups and like trust the Globes to bring it back because <laughs> look, we all know that Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. That is a truism that will never change. And I happen to have absolutely loved the, the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I was so happy for everything that that won. But, and, and Mank to me should absolutely be up for some stuff for all the performances in it are, are very strong. It's a beautiful looking movie. I mean, to see something done in David Fincher, black and white is, you know, I mean, like a friend said to me, he lights Amanda Seyfried exactly like he lit Madonna in the Vogue video. And I was like, is that why I love it? But yeah. <laughs> it's um, a good video. And it is, and it is, you know, an interesting script by David Fincher's late father. And I think the novelty that I shouldn't say novelty, but the fact that his father has been dead for over 20 years and had written this screenplay something like 30 years ago, that is a hook that I think voters will love. I, I understand all of those things. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're dealing again. We've, look, we've, we've obviously over the last 
few years, we've been trying to sort of course correct on the the, the lack of, of women and people of color in the categories. And I think there's still a lag that I'm feeling that's disappointing when it comes to um, to movies like Minari and Judas and the Black Messiah. And, and even, you know, we'll see with Sound of Metal. So I, you know, yeah. I'm just always still kind of surprised when it goes to, to people who've had multiple nominations and turn in good performances, completely solid, but absolutely don't need to be nominated again. I do, I do wish there was some sort of like fresh infusion of, I don't know, these, just these incredible performances that still seem like they're putting these people in the wings still. And I want to say, don't do that because they've arrived. So don't like wait five more years to start paying attention to them. That's my rant. Before we wrap, Lee, I'm curious, I think, for you and me both, Nomadland was our favorite movie of last year. Parasite was our favorite movie of the year before that. And that went on to win Best Picture. But oftentimes our favorite movies do not necessarily translate to Oscar success. Have, have you been surprised that Nomadland has done as well so far as it, as it has? You know, it's funny because I remember when I was supposed to watch Nomadland, um, which I think officially premiered at, was it the Venice Film Festival, mm-hmm. a.k.a a couch in my living room, but (laughs) I actually, I was a little bit like, Oh man, this looks like a very serious and whatever movie. And, and I, I can't remember being so entranced by something and so fully, I don't know. And, and part of that may have been that we have, we have never had a less sort of open road year in our real lives last year than, 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 than 2020. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like the only thing that Nomadland needs is for people to give it a chance. Well, that's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Awardist. And thanks to Leah for her critical guide to this year's Oscar contenders. Please subscribe and listen along every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race. And follow me on Twitter at ClarissaNYC1, David at DavidCanfield97, and Leah at Leah Bats. We'll be back next week with more, including an interview with Cherry Star Tom Holland and a little Oscar trivia. Thanks for listening. This has been The Awardist. <laughs>